here and ain't no wannabes here With some not so nice advice for your writing career To be clear, no punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace On the right, yes she may be half as hype But she can take him in a fight So settle in folks, buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there when you're done writing Ditch Diggers! So this is Ditch Diggers. I'm not sure which number it is because I'm behind in everything and posting. Not in recording. Okay, a little bit in recording because uh, Matt is still missing. He sent me proof of life just in a picture of chicken and some Brussels sprouts. It looked really good, so I know that he's alive and eating well. But, you know, he's got, Matt's got a Matt. It's, that's what we know. So uh, I have as his replacement, which was supposed to be yesterday, and that's my fault, but uh, SB Divya is used to me being kind of flaky and rolling with the punches. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming and being not Matt today, and thank you for being patient with me when I screwed up yesterday. Yeah, of course. I'll do my best to be not Matt today. <laughs> yes. Uh, Divya is the author of Machine Hood, which we have uh, listed below here, which was her debut novel this year, but she's a, a Nebula Award-nominated writer in the novella category. Am I right? I'm That's getting all that right. Okay, good. Yeah, good job. And, um, and she's also my multiple Hugo Award-nominated co-editor for Escape Pod. So uh, we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about little bit of the pandemic and we're going to talk a little bit about rejectomancy and how Divi and I work together because we get that question a lot so um and I'm going to point out again uh if you weren't here for the earlier I should be writing stream I had some I had a kind of situation on Tuesday where I always tell other people that you need to take some time for yourself and process what you're feeling, and then tomorrow you can get back to work. Only I didn't know that. So I tried to keep going on Tuesday, and then Wednesday came, and I had no spoons. I was just literally just, I, I can't do this. I had some things push late, and then uh, Divi is like, we can go later today. And I'm like, no, I don't think I can. <laughs> so she was so kind to come. So uh, what have I not told people about you, Divya? You talk for a little while. Um, let's see. Yes. So I'm an author. I'm, uh, I guess I'm not new anymore, but I still feel new because, uh, for most of my life I was an engineer. And so I'm still kind of wrapping my head around making that career transition from being full-time tech world, uh, coding, software, AI, hardware geek to being a science fiction fantasy author and editor. Um, yeah, and my first novel just came out a few months ago in the middle of, you know, all this. Yeah. And uh, that was very exciting and also somewhat fraught because uh, I live in Southern California and I guess got unlucky when I went to the grocery store back in January when things were pretty bad around here and, uh, and I actually caught COVID. So I was, you know, mostly recovered by the time my book came out. But that was uh, an interesting layer of complexity on top of, you know, everything else that goes with a book release and then a book release in the middle of a pandemic. And it's also your first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's really it's terrible. And I think the only good thing is the wrong word here. I'm thinking the only salve to this burn we have is everybody is in the same boat. I mean, yeah, there are some ultra-rich people who are sad that they have to eat some bread or something, whatever Gwyneth Paltrow was whining about, but, uh, and the rest of us, you know, but, but, but the rest of us real people, we're pretty much all in the same boat, so you were in the same boat with everybody else who had a debut uh, or a big release on, uh, during this awful, awful time, and, um, I'm not saying that's better. I'm just saying that that pretty much everybody understands. <laughs> yes. 
To be fair, uh, if anything, I had the advantage of having all this happen, you know, a year later when I had other people's experiences to draw on, people to talk to, you know, talking strategies mm-hmm. and what worked for them and didn't. Uh, it was much harder for people, you know, debuting a year ago, right, yeah. when book tours were being canceled yeah. and, you know, you just, nobody really knew what to do or how to do it yet, so... Or when uh, you yeah, start doing it. Yeah. And it's like, I had already done some virtual conferences and whatnot um, last year before I had to do this. So I was like, yes, my Zoom setup is all, you know, got the wrinkles smoothed out. I have my little process and my camera and my lights and everything else. And uh, to whoever complimented my artwork, thank yes. you. Uh, that was, was not like half-assed you know before the pandemic and then I was like oh I should really fill this up rather than having a a fake background so I threw some more artwork up on the wall yeah I've got the fake background because just this room I'm streaming in is not this is a guest room with zero um bookshelves and if I actually did this in my office the way my desk is situated I have a window almost exactly behind me, and so there's this big rectangle of light putting a, making me into a shadow, and there's no way I can look good in that room if for, for you know this camera. And my desk is like a massive thing that's a corner desk, so it's not like I could shift it around or anything. So I always feel bad when I see other people's amazing offices or their book collections or whatever, and I've got the fake Aurora Borealis behind me. <laughs> so... Uh, I should probably do something more creative with that, but then I don't don't want it to get too distractible. Distracting right. word. Yeah. Hard. The the oral borealis is a nice touch though, because it's dynamic, right? Yes. So there's stuff going on behind you for those of us who need to stare at moving things. What's <laughs> the moving frame? I'm finding that very mesmerizing. I'm just like, I'm just gonna stare at the frame. It is, it is. <laughs> it's it's funny looking for these overlays that are uh dynamic and interesting but not too much so i found i found one that i loved that had cycling uh ufos with lights coming down and going back and forth but it was too big and it never stopped and i could not figure out where in the commands to tell it stop looping and so <laughs> it just went back and forth and back and forth and it was a little bit too much so it's it's all there's there's always these things that you need to uh, little things you never thought you'd have to worry about like how distracting is the moving thing on my screen? Yeah, totally. And I I have the desk problem too because there's like all my books are off camera over here to my left, and uh, and I was like oh all these people same thing like lovely bookshelves and I have a book full of actually all my science fiction mm-hmm. actually my hour my spouse and my science fiction collection is is over here but no one can see it. So yeah. art, in the meantime, you get, you know, cool artwork. Yeah. Some of the stuff that I'm a fan of. Just really, I could take a picture of another room in my house with books and then put it behind me. <laughs> That's amazing. You could. I've could. seen people do that. Really? Of their own and they, house? Yeah. yeah. Wow. They have taken uh, a picture of, of their nicely arranged bookshelf while it is tidied up and then turned that into their background. Yeah. Anything goes these yeah. days. I'm going to take a moment and say hi to chat since y'all are saying hi to us. Uh, Sorry, we got Catwood telling me that my uh, mic had turned off. Thank you. And under Pope. And uh, Kids Are Asleep is here with the the background of the Normandy because the Kids Are Asleep is currently streaming Mass Effect series. Uh, So I'm going to do a shout out so you can check her out when she's streaming. Um... I can do this. I'm going to make this into a command and, and put it on a button, I swear. Uh, there we go. Shout out for the kids are asleep for... Uh, you want to see the... How she controls the Normandy. And uh, Tree Lobsters is here. Uh, Tree Lobsters is uh, dealing with some exciting agent stuff, so I'm glad they were able to show up. Um, and Frigg's daughter is back lurking. Good to see you. Glad you're here. And uh, Dusty Scrolls is here. Tree Lobster says, I work from home station. Cocoon of monitors, cushions, and a cat. People love the cats. People love the animals, really. I've got uh, 
a camera set up for dog cam when he comes in here. So that's it's people like that stuff. Um, hey, Superman Gothic, good to see you. All right, I think I'm caught up with the chat. It's harder keeping up a chat when there's somebody else here that, that is the subject of the show. So I, if I let it scroll a little bit too much, I apologize. But um, so what? It sounds like such a vague question. I'm sorry, Divya. I'm just like, what did you learn last year? Actually, no. I want to ask you, what did you learn that you can carry forward when things get back to normal? Woohoo. Um, either like health-wise or career-wise with all the things you experienced in the past 15 months. You <laughs> <laughs> not learn anything and you're just glad to get back to regular stuff. No, I'm, I'm definitely not back to regular stuff and I'm probably not going to be back to regular stuff for a while just because of lingering the health issues. Yeah. But, um, but I have learned some some good things, and I think uh, some apply pandemic wise. But but you're right; some of them I can carry forward. And one of those is, you know, pace yourself. Um, it's it's easy to kind of get caught up in every single person who offers to promote you on whatever their platform is, um, but that requires time and energy. And uh, luckily, I quit my day job back in. December so I was able to just put everything aside and work on promotions because that's about all I had the energy for for about two months and uh, and but the, the side effect was I didn't get much actual writing done yeah and so what I discovered was yeah having that you know just that one interview or event a day you know something like this um, especially when I was still just like a month out from COVID, that was enough to kind of put me out for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd go, uh, because it takes some time to get ready, get everything set up, and then, you know, all the mental energy of chatting with people and hanging out and being a professional. And of course, machinehood has lots of like heavy, heavy stuff. So people were asking me not easy questions, <laughs> which I loved. Like, I absolutely love talking about this stuff. But, um, but it was, you know, it was a little bit draining. So then, yeah, by the afternoon, I just want a nap. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, I should sit down and I should start writing, you know, a short story or whatever. But it's like, no, I'm just going to close my eyes and chill. And, um, and then I also have a kid. So uh, she's still school-aged and, you know, doing after-school activities because those have come back. So there was all of that to juggle. And so, yeah, I think in future, uh, should I be so lucky as to have another book release at some point, I will be very careful, especially if I have any writing due at that time, to not book something every single day yeah. for weeks on end. Otherwise, I will get nowhere with my writing, and, and I'm now well aware of that. So that, that was definitely a big takeaway. The other one, I think, is... Um, more like on the having fun with it all side, like all of my ideas pre-pandemic were really shaped around fun promotional things I could do at in-person conventions yeah. and book signings, right? And, um, and I came up with a few virtual things, but honestly, I still feel like it was the, the material goods, you know, uh, printing out the Machinehood Manifesto as a brochure that I could mail to people, bookmarks, book plates, like people still want things that they can hold in their hands. And you may not be able to put it in their hands, but if you can put it in the mail, that still seems to be better promotional goodies than a lot of the digital stuff that we were all kind of navigating and trying to come up with, you know, clever virtual giveaways right that people would be interested in especially as enticement to buy the book right yeah so i'm i'm looking forward to you know getting back to some of the in-person stuff and actually being able to maybe put into play some of the ideas i had but now that the book is out like some of the gorilla marketing stuff is is maybe um less appropriate but uh i don't, I don't know so. it's to be fun <laughs> i think I, I think any any bit of thing you do that may be off time you can just say 
this should have happened during COVID, and it didn't, and you understand why. I mean, I think you should have a book launch party at Worldcon, and that's oh, yeah. months away. We should <laughs> probably have, like, a makeup joint launch party for, yeah. you know, everybody this yeah. year, just, like, one big, especially for the debuts, right, because yeah. we're the ones that need the, the most attention. Um, we we are still building up our audience and our followers, so it's like, yeah, if we could throw a nice party and, and have some cake and champagne at Worldcon, that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, that would be For cool. sure. So Catwood wants to know about quitting your day job. Uh, huge step, what did you consider making that decision? Yeah, it is a huge step. This is uh, kind of the second time I've done it. So, <laughs> so take it with a grain of salt. I may be back to working in the tech industry in a year or two. Um, I've given up trying to predict uh, more than a few months ahead in my life these days. But um, the first time I, I kind of unrolled myself out of my day job, because at that point I'd been at that job for eight years. I was a senior level engineer. I had a lot of stuff in my head. And so I spent about a year just consulting once a week um, and doing knowledge transfer and uh, getting paid you know, reasonably well for my time. And then I took about a year off uh, in 2017, which was when I drafted Machinehood. And then in 2018, I went back to a day job uh, part-time. They knew that I was an author, and so they were willing to put up with me kind of splitting my time between them and continuing to write because I had a lot of fixing up to do with this book. Um, this last time, it was uh, a few different things kind of came together. Uh, I took a few months off last year as well, uh, drafted another novel, and in part because the day job at the time didn't have a lot to give me, um, and so they were okay with me taking that time off. And by the time they had figured out, you know, where to put my effort again, I was neck deep in so many other things in the writing world. And I knew that Machina had this release date of early March. And I really wanted to have the time to do all these promotional things. And, you know, the kind of engineering I do is not trivial it's not the sort of thing you can just kind of pick up and put down and I discovered that trying to do it one day a week was really frustrating for me because I had to remember where I had left off especially if I was debugging you know some algorithm or something and so you know I'd spend an hour just refreshing where I was then a few hours actually working on it and then I'd have to stop because the day was over and so Rather than um, frustrating myself and feeling like I was never getting enough done for them, I decided it was better just to just to pull the plug, you know, rip the bandaid off, um, and and then if I need to go back at some point, I will go back. But I'm kind of taking things as they come, you know. If uh, if I sell this next novel, then maybe I'll continue to coast on my writing income, which is a fraction of my engineering income, but then again, part-time engineering income is a fraction of full-time, and um, my spouse is back in a more stable position. A couple of years ago, he was um, at a startup, and things were a little sketchy, and so right now, things are better for him, and we tend to do this relay race where we pass the, the income baton back and forth a bit, and so if he's doing something high risk, low income, then I'm the one earning the paychecks and, and vice versa. So I'm like, right now he's carrying the baton, so I'm taking advantage of it. And um, yeah, and I will say the timing worked out impeccably well because I could not have predicted I was going to get COVID yeah. for about three weeks after I quit my job, <laughs> but, oh, but I did. And, you know, if I'd had to deal with that on top of the book and, of course, all the escape pod stuff and trying to deliver on deadlines for um, for my tech job, it would have, uh, I think it would have destroyed me in too many ways. So, yeah, so, yeah. so it, it's uh, all, all's well that ended well in, in terms of that. And, you know, I always leave the door open. Um if I'm, if I'm away from the tech industry for too long, probably no one will hire me, but by the same token, I have a lot of experience and I'm 
well-versed in machine learning, which is a very hot topic right now. So I'm probably still, I feel like I'm still employable should I need to go back and do that work again. Right. Or you could just write, use your machine learning abilities and write another awesome book. I could. Um, I, I was hoping to start on uh, yet another novel this year, but since things are a little up in the air with the sale of the one I wrote last year, I'm kind of waiting to see what happens with that. And um, I ran out of short stories, so I'm, I'm writing a few of those right now. And, uh, and that's good. No deadlines, very chill, kind of what I need. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's... I think a lot of people don't understand the innards of, of publishing when like a second book is not guaranteed or it's not our call whether there's a second book or not. I mean, I suppose we could say no if they wanted us to do it, but if we're under contract, that's a little difficult. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with your uh, dreadful year of COVID and debut and struggles and crap? Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't dreadful. I mean, luckily, you know, my, my acute period of being sick with COVID was like the flu. And so, um, I think it, it could have been far, far worse. And timing wise, at least I had a month, you know, before almost like five weeks before the book came out. So, uh, that also worked out, but, um, yeah, I, I feel for I feel for everybody right now, regardless of their circumstances. And like, there's this whole other element right like now now for people with books coming out in the middle of this transition period, mm-hmm. because there are some places that are you know reopening, people are going back and actually signing books at bookstores, and then there are other places that are still um, semi on lockdown. Um, some conventions are coming back in person, some are not. So it's also a, a very awkward time right now to try to plan out a book release because you don't know because things are changing so quickly um, in the opposite direction, right? So it's like, are you ready to fly? How safe do you feel? You know, mm-hmm. who's vaccinated? Who's not? Like now there's all these, there's like a whole new set of questions and uncertainty so I feel like last year was the ramp down this year's you know the ramp up but either way it's um it's a difficult thing to navigate as an author to know you know what to plan for right like a lot of these publicity things get scheduled weeks or even months sometimes Mm -hmm. in advance and you know some of them are starting to dial back on their virtual events uh, because they're anticipating being able to do more in-person stuff. And so the one nice thing about the virtual was that um, bookstores were hosting a lot more authors, I feel like. And so there were more opportunities to get ourselves out in front of people, and the people could come from all over as well. I don't know if it was as good for the bookstores. They may not have sold as many books, with the virtual events compared to, you know, when you're in person and browsing, you're probably going to pick up something before you go home. Mm -hmm. When you're virtual, you know, you got to click on that button and you figure you might do it later and it's easy to put off. Um, But I think it was, it was beneficial for those of us who had book releases that we had more opportunities, right. than if you have to travel somewhere and, and be at the store in person. So I don't know how that's going to look, you know, if they're going to still try to do a little bit of both just so they can get this sort of wider reach. I'm kind of hoping, I'm kind of hoping that, that events do, um, like signings or conferences or conventions will still keep the best of both worlds. They will do regular events, but you know, virtual events could still happen, which is good for, um, the store and good for, uh, as the kids are asleep mentions in chat, good for the fans. Cause you can't, I can't see you if you're going to be in California at a bookstore, but if they have a virtual thing, then I can show up 
And um, I think it also helped a lot of people who'd never been to cons before and didn't know if it was worth it or were too remote or were not, uh, didn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of people have health problems and can't go to conventions for whatever reason. And um, this past year gave them a lot of opportunities to check out things, be able to, you know, send a text question to their favorite author or something. It was, uh, the opportunities were actually there and bigger for, especially on the fan level. And, um, yeah, Meerkat says, I would like hybrid events to be a thing. Exactly. Yeah, I hope they, they continue to do that. And yeah, uh, to your point, I would not have been in good shape to go like on a physical book tour. Yeah. But I would have had, had they actually sent me on one, um, I would have had a very hard time not going on my first book tour too, right? Yeah. So I probably would have pushed to the further detriment of my health. Um, so yes, for sure. In terms of, you know, accessibility, the virtual events have been really, really great. And it's nice now because it's like everyone's been forced to do it. So they've worked out their process and platforms. So there, there's no excuse not to continue to hybridize in the future, right? Well, I'm actually worried that some are going to say, like, they had to spend money for the virtual space and training. And especially, I'm not going to be ageist, I'm just going to say that there was a learning curve for a lot of people regarding Zoom last year. And yeah, me, I'm not even going to be ageist, me, my, my age, because I, I don't. I don't have a day job. I don't have conference calls. I don't do Zoom. And I had to learn it and figure out um, showing up or moderation powers or whatever. And there were people who <laughs> saved my butt several times. Actually, the kids are asleep as one of those people. And I always, always am grateful. Uh, like, Murray, you're, you're supposed to be in this room. Are you having a problem? Yes, I'm having a problem. Help me. So, yeah. That happened more than once. <laughs> so um, I, I'm worried that the work that you know it did take work. It, it the payoff was was I hopefully hopefully was huge because people were able to attend a con and have fun as much as they could. But uh, I, I am worried that they're going to be like, oh, thank God, we don't have to worry about Zoom training or or getting a whole bunch of volunteers to do a lot more work. Mentally, I guess. I've never volunteered at a con, but I... I don't know. Something about d doing a virtual event, sitting here... I think it's because I can mess up my own tech really well. But I can usually find my way to a panel room at a con. So even though I'm at home, I can have the the, the anxiety of, of sitting on a panel virtually is almost worse. It, it's definitely... Um... I don't know. It's, it's, I hate to say it's not as good, but it's not as good. <laughs> like, the, the, I love being able to interact with people all around the world. Like, that, that is the big, big benefit of the virtual panels. But it's not the same as being in the room with people. The dynamics are different. The audience interaction is different. I think at the worst is like when you're doing live readings, you know, the mm -hmm. virtual live reading where everyone's politely turned off their cameras and it's like, I'm reading to a blank screen, which I'm kind of used to because of a skate pod. So it's not that bad. <laughs> but, you know, it's different when it's like, this is supposed to be a live reading. There is an audience. I just have no idea how they're reacting when I look up from, you know, a sentence normally in in the before times and the in-person times that are, I guess, coming back, um, you know, you can see people smiling or, or crying or whatever, right? And, yeah. and you get none of that anymore. And similarly, when you're on a panel with people, there's like body language cues, right? Someone leans towards the microphone, so you mm -hmm. can tell that they want to say something. Or someone, you even just hear them draw in a breath, so you know they want to say something. Whereas on screen, there's this very sort of awkward, like, virtual hand raising and you know calling on people by name and there's a lot more moderation that has to happen and it's just not um it's just not as i guess free-flowing as it can be yeah in person and that's that's really what i miss like 
I feel like there's there's that and there's the hallway conversations, which mm-hmm. I personally just have not found satisfying at all with virtual conventions. Yeah. And to be completely honest, I just gave up. After the, the one or two last year where I tried to go be in their virtual social spaces on Slack or Discord or wherever it was, um, I gave up pretty quickly because it's just not how I operate, especially when there's 30 strangers in there. Yeah, but we did go to a party that was better than most when Escape Artists threw us a uh, party for Escape Pod and Podcastle for our award nominations this year, and uh, that was done in Gather, and that was surprisingly good, all things considered. And it's because you, uh, I, I worry about Gather having the learning curve of if, if, if you don't like video games, you're going to bounce off it pretty hard. Even though there's, there's no game element, but it looks like it. Because when you log in, your, your image, your camera is up here, but you are this little person. And it looks like you're just running around doing an adventure game. But when you bring your little person and you walk up to somebody and they're having a conversation, you can hear the conversation. And if you don't want to, you can move away. So it's not like 17 people in one uh, Discord room talking at once. And um, we did that, and it was pretty cool. I I thought uh, it was the best virtual experience, uh, social virtual experience I'd had, pretty much. Yeah, FogCon did that for their social as well. That was my first experience, yeah, with Gather. And I was like, oh, where was this platform a year ago? Yeah, you know, like exactly. we did it badly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a it's a much better simulation of, of what it's like to be, you know, at a gathering in a big space mm-hmm. of, uh, of a bunch of people. Yes, I, I agree. That was better. That was uh, easier for me than the other version. But there's still the like, you know, the oddity of, of sitting statically in front of my desk, you know, moving yeah. my little 8-bit character around versus being in a space, moving around with actual people and, you know, drifting from one conversation to another, right? Or yeah, just, like, seeing someone across the room and running off to say hi, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, it will it will be nice to, to have the hybridization, I think, so that there is a virtual track for say, the people on the other side of the world who want to participate in Worldcon and mm-hmm. can't make it for one reason or another, and um, and then everyone else who can. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, we are Hugo nominated because of our zine and because of how we run our zine, so uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about being editors and Rejectomancy and... Um, I encouraged questions from the chat because almost everybody has questions about Rejectomancy. Um, or if you want to ask questions about other aspects of writing business life, including um, agent hunting, etc., feel free to drop them in. But um, so, yeah, that, that Hugo thing, that was exciting, wasn't it? Yeah, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> it's always awesome. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it gets old. Being told yeah. that you're nominated for Hugo. <laughs> no, no, it does not. Um, I, I was, we were both rather shocked to get the editor uh, nomination this year. And the one of the best things about that was Sheila Williams um, sent a, a congratulations note. And, you know, she's been, how long has she been editor of Asimov's? I, it's just like forever. And Ever. she's amazing. And uh, it was very kind to for her to to say that. It's I I hope that when when I'm a veteran of science fiction and have decades behind me and stuff, I I hope that I go up to people and tell them congratulations, whether they know me or not, because. Harry Turtledove did that to me once, and it's the only time I've ever talked to him. But after I won the Astounding Award, he he saw me the next day and congratulated me. And that was just like the best thing ever. But, um, it's yeah. the thing that got me and I had, uh, had a 
disagreement. I'll, I'll go ahead and say it now. We're, we're far enough away from it, I hope. <laughs> Sorry, Alistair, if you're not. Um, we had a disagreement several years ago about whether the shows we do would be Hugo eligible. Of course they're eligible, but would be considered for nominations because all the other magazines that are nominated do extensive things like art and nonfiction, and some of them do poetry, and we do one story, audio and ebook. Well, e- e- electric. What do we call it? Electric rights on the um, site. Something we don't actually put out an ebook, but you can read electronic. It. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's just text. Yeah, electronic text. Yeah, and we the the our nonfiction consists of a couple of paragraphs that we the hosts write about the stories, and that's it. And I thought we were too minimal to be nominated. And, and Al didn't appreciate that, but I'm like, I just don't. It's not like I'm not going to work at hardest at being a good editor for this magazine. I just did not think people would pay attention to it. And they did. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I, I love that we've been able to get that visibility and over time. Because I think there was also some misapprehension um, from the veterans, as you say, because uh, Escape Pod started out as a reprint market, and so a lot of people uh, still thought of us that way, right? Yeah. And so I think there was also just the shifting, shifting the understanding and the narrative about our podcasts as being magazines that produced original fiction and were worthy of award consideration though it's still weird to say that but i mean we are like that that was that was our dream right yeah (laughs) and so um yes that's been it's been really awesome and and i still uh, at least partially credit the anthology with our our best editor uh listing there because i think it's it was a was an unusual year last year but that was such a fun project to do you know in addition to our regular escape pod work and yeah, we had um, done uh if you don't know we have an anthology out for the 15th anniversary of escape pod which was last year and we solicited a number of original stories from some authors that we had run so the the author was familiar to escape pod but the story was not and we bought the rights to some stories that had run on escape pod before and then we got at least in one case, we got an, a reprint that we hadn't run on Escape Pod before. Uh, that was Nora Jemison's, N.K. Jemison's. But um, it was really... I was proud of what we put together. It was pretty fun. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, we had like originals said, from Maurice Broadus, Tobias Bakel, uh Sarah Gailey, Tina Connolly... Help. Beth Cato, yes, Greg Vanniecout. Greg Vanniecout, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry was, yeah, that, that was a wrenching one. Um, pretty awesome. Oh, thank and you. And you, uh, you get to hear them, uh, especially the originals. We're going to um, be running them throughout this year and the first part of next year on yeah. Escape Pod. So that'll be fun, too, to yes. bring that to our wider audience over time. But yeah, I think um, I think that may have contributed to seeing us as editors in addition to seeing the magazine mm-hmm. as a whole. True. So uh, let's talk about how we work together and that magic rejectomancy thing. Yeah, do you want to start yeah, from the, the bottom with slush? <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say it that way. Start from the beginning. How about that? From the sure. from the nascent stage of a story that comes into the slush pile, um, we have you know a, a team of slush readers that has really grown. Like I think I was one of the early slush readers at Escape Pod back in 2015 when you know it was it was mostly Norm and Nathan Lee running the show and. Um, and they had a couple of slush readers, and then they pulled me and a couple others in. And it's grown. Um, after Nathan left and I became assistant editor, we added more people. And our our submissions pile has grown a lot over time, too. Like, when I started six years ago, 
we would get probably 60 or 70 submissions per month. And now I think we're like at 300 plus. So we've got this big team of, of associate editors who do the first reads of these stories and give us feedback. And then we have our, our mid-level manager, who is uh, Benjamin Kinney, who's awesome. Mm-hmm. And he goes through all of their feedback and decides basically what gets passed up to me and Lur and um, what gets sent back to the author, which is a nice way of saying rejected. But <laughs> he has... He has an extensive system of uh, different types of rejection notes, depending on the reason. And then, you know, we, not all magazines do this, but um, I'm actually really happy that we send hold notices. That was something I started doing. Yeah. Because as an author, I hate that, like, limbo feeling of, like, why are they sitting on my story for three months? Is it because no one's touched it yet? Is it because the, you know, senior editors are thinking about it real hard? And so... Um, this way, at least you have some clue that, okay, you've made it past that first round and now you're going to have to be patient because it's going to take more and me as long as it takes us to decide what we're going to decide. Yeah, we, uh, Ben and the associate editors are usually pretty fast on the turnaround and then (laughs) I've read the letters because actually if you ever submit to Escape Pod and, uh, you hear from Ben, he uses the editor account so if you reply to Ben, it comes to us. So uh, sometimes I get replies like, thanks for the critique, thanks for your time, etc. Or sometimes it, it, they reply to hold notices. And I so I get to see the hold notices he sends out, which is, you know, like a very kind way of saying that uh, now, you ha- now you get to wait. <laughs> he doesn't say those words exactly, of course, but it's like, yeah, we passed it up to the editors, now you get to wait. <laughs> But, you know, most authors, if they're anything like me, uh, we're pretty happy to wait once we get to that final round. Like, I've had stuff sit in final round for months, and I'm just like, take your time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't rush this decision. Because <laughs> um, I figure the, the longer they're waiting, it's not always perfectly proportional, uh, including with us. But the longer they're waiting, the more they're agonizing over the story. So that's, that's, that's always a good sign. With us. Sometimes we'll just be like... I have mixed feelings. I'm not sure. Uh, something I said last week when we met was, I'm in a bad mood, and I'm afraid I'm going to judge this story wrong. <laughs> That's what happened. I really wanted to give the story its due, and I was angry at something else and uh, didn't want to take... I was not enjoying the first read-through, and I was like, I got to step back because that's not fair to the story. Unfortunately, the author has to wait some more, but you know, the, the result might be better for them if they do. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and that's where, you know, rejectomancy gets you all twisted up in knots, right? Because um, you wonder if it's meaningful, that mm-hmm. that extra time that it's taking. And especially the, those people who spend a lot of time looking at statistics on the submissions grinder, which, um, if you're not aware, Diabolical Plots is the website, and they have this amazing and free tracking software where you can look at um, other people's submissions as well as your own, not by title, it's just by data, but you can see how long it's taken a given magazine to um, reject a story, to accept a story, statistics on how many acceptances they issue, how many personal rejections, and then you as the author get to contribute to this pile of data by logging your own submissions, rejections, acceptances, etc. And so, um, like when I started out in, in purely in short fiction, I spent entirely too much time looking at graphs on the submissions grinder, seeing, you know, there's usually like uh, a bimodal distribution where there's like a first bump for the first layer of rejections and then this kind of long tail and then sort of a smattering of, you know, smaller bumps as the second or third round rejections go out but then you see like how far out the the little green uh, data points are which are the acceptances and how very few of them there are compared to you know the big red rejection bars and so you like to think that you know somehow rejection time delay is in proportion to 
the quality or the struggle that the editors are having, but uh, it is not always the case. Sometimes it is just that we're having a bad day or we're sick or, you know, like, like, you know, Clark, you're in surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, And so things just take longer because of that. And then the the other aspect is now that we're on Moksha, um, you get queue numbers. And, And so you can watch your number in the submissions queue dropping. And so people who are sitting in the single digits are often biting their nails, wondering if they're going to get an acceptance or a rejection any day now. Um, and uh, I have been there. In fact, that's that's what happened with my um, my tour.com novella. I, I sent that in back in 2015 when they were having open submissions. And I stopped paying attention to the queue because I was like, they're not going to buy it. I had, you know, two flash fiction publications to my name. Nobody had heard of me. I figured there was no way they were going to buy this novella, so um, I didn't even look. But uh, a writer friend of mine emailed me, and he was like, he's like, he's like, where are you in the queue? Because I remember you were you were like two spots, you know, ahead of me uh, a couple months ago. Whenever I had posted about it, he's like, where are you now? Because I'm at number, you know, I don't remember now, but I'll make up something. But he was at like number thirteen or something. I was like. Oh, God, I don't know. And so I went and looked. And I was like, yeah, I was at number 11 or 9 or whatever. And I'm like, I'm sure they're going to be rejecting me any day now. And then uh, a week later, I received a contract from them. And I just about had a heart attack because I was at the office at work. It was like 830 in the morning. And I got it in my email. And I was like, I was shaking. Like, my hands were literally shaking. So I was just like, what is happening? (laughs) And so I, I went into a conference room and closed the door and called my husband, who was driving on the freeway to some meeting. And so I had to talk really loud because I was like, I was like, oh, door.com's buying my novella. And he was like, what? And, I, and so I repeated <laughs> myself like louder and louder. And my manager's cubicle was right outside this room. So by the time I stepped outside, he was just like grinning at me. He's like, oh, congratulations. <laughs> you sold the story. And I was like, yes, I was trying to be quiet about it, but that failed. <laughs> I'm glad the news wasn't like, I'm pregnant or anything. Can't you hear uh, me? <laughs> yeah. That was a whole other conversation. That happened a few years before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, the thing that, that, now that I'm an editor, I just have the feeling of the words not right for us really does mean exactly that and very little else. It's magazines have a, I hate saying it like a brand, but it is a brand. They have, it's not just, we will take anything that's science fiction. It's, it's, we have things we specifically look for. And it's possible that your story falls outside those parameters. And it's not even a question of uh, whether it's good or not. We have turned down stories that we thought were good, but either we didn't think it would translate into audio well, or the story just didn't fit what we usually try to present at Escape Pod. And it's, it's hard. Um, and it's hard yeah, making those decisions. I think that's the the hardest part of being at our level is having to turn something down, even though we like it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, but we have to. Like, if you think about it, you know, 300 stories a month come in, and typically four stories a month get published. Like, those those are tough, tough odds. And... And unfortunately, yeah, we have to make the decision somehow. But I will say, um, you know, in my experience, both as a writer and as an editor, if your story makes it up to that final round, uh, chances are good that it's going to sell somewhere one day. Mm -hmm. Because it's a quality story, or it wouldn't have gotten that far. So it is the one sort of, I guess... um, one takeaway, one positive takeaway you can have, right? I mean, it, it still sucks, and sometimes it sucks worse to get 
that final round rejection than to just get hunted out of slush quickly. But, um, but you can take some consolation in knowing that you know, if you hold on to it and you persist long enough, you will probably sell it either to an anthology someday or um, maybe a neon short story collection. That happened with one of mine. <laughs> um, great, my brain just turned off. All right, I'll, I'll keep talking sorry, and fill the air. I'm really, just trying to go 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 somewhere. Yeah, you keep talking. I've got to remember what I'm <laughs> doing. <clears throat> It'll come back to you in a second. Um, yeah, and then and then there's the ones uh, that that Murr and I wrestle with because one of us is iffy or iffier than the other person on the story. You know, it's easy when one of us or both of us absolutely loves a thing and thinks it's perfect for a skate pod but yeah. that doesn't always happen either and so then there's the you know kind of going back and forth of well, like how much do you like this story and how much you know do I not like this story and kind of weighing that in balance yeah um it yeah I don't know I feel like we we're not we're not often super polarized uh in terms of liking or disliking something but um but there are times when, you know, one of us might be, like, lukewarm on a thing, and the other yeah. one's really passionate about it. Yeah. Um, I did think of what I was going to say, is uh, if the if the letter says, uh, please submit to us again, they mean it. And that mm -hmm. means nothing more than, please submit to us again. Because we have turned down a number of stories for being... <clears throat> either the wrong brand or the writing was awesome but the story didn't hold together or i mean there's so many reasons why it like it's like your story ticked all the boxes except for one big one and so we have to reject it but we really want to see what you come up with next and so you know i i try to be careful i'm the one who writes uh the rejection letters for us and i try to be really careful to encourage uh frequent and encourage another submission just like we like you you're almost there come on send us another another thing um remember if there are any questions you have about rejectomancy go ahead and put them in the chat um yeah it's it's one thing that i love about working with you divya is uh the fact that you are a scientist and engineer mathy person and uh you know, you you and Ben, our assistant editor. So, you know, these two will have a much better view of what the the scientific plausibility of a story. Whereas I could be happy with hand waving, but uh, at least it's 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 we balance each other well. Um, you know, the <laughs> there have been stories that have come up to us where Ben's like. The science is all wrong, but you guys should see this anyway. <laughs> feel the grudging comments on there. <clears throat> yes, I uh, I will I will not choose to reject a story just because of the implausibility of the, the technology or the science. And I know I'm I'm pickiest about AI the way Ben is pickiest about neuroscience because that's what we know the most about. Mm -hmm. Um, or like computer related hardware and software where I'm just gonna give something the side eye and be like that that's not how that works um, but I will forgive a lot for a really fun entertaining good story you know like at the end of the day that's what matters and on the plus side if we're buying it typically it means we get to edit it too <laughs> so yeah. I can always go in and have them fix those little details that are like splinters under my fingernails. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't want that stop us. Yeah. Um, so I will say, I guess you know, if a story is like so implausible that it just keeps throwing me out of it, um, I don't think that happens so much with our, our with the stuff in Escape Pod Slash, just because of the multiple filters the right. story has passed through. But I will sometimes read, you know things in other publications where I'm just like, nah, no. And, uh, and if I, you know, if I'm like mentally yelling at the story, then, um, then it's very hard for me to, to get past that 
and just you know, same thing, right? Like anything that throws you out of the story too much, um, you're not going to end up enjoying the story at the end of the day. Yeah, and this is not in our submission guidelines, but since you mentioned something throwing you out of a story, <clears throat> I really dislike second person, and it's done frequently enough to where I'm wondering if this is like a thing. And I'm not saying it can't be done well. I'm saying it's a complicated tool that not a lot of people know how to wield. And if your story is in second person, the first thing I'm going to feel when I'm reading it is irritation. I have not, we, we have of course bought second person stories and I don't let that color my view of the story. You know, you know I, I would keep reading, but my first thought is, oh God, second person again, what are they thinking? <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I have, so it's like if you, when you open up a story, you kind of start at zero level and wait for it to like make you happy or, or not. And it's like when I open the story and see it's on, on uh, second person, I kind of start a little bit below zero. So it has to work harder to crawl out. Oh, Valerie loves second person. It When it's done well, it's it's great. I mean, I, I thought the second person in... Uh, the Broken Earth series, Nora Jemison's, uh, was brilliant. But I'm not a fan, usually. So, I just... Uh, and that's something we don't put in the submission guidelines. So I just bring it up every once in a while. I don't, I don't know if you... Do you have any little detail? Not like... It's not considered a... Never do this in a story for any editor, but it's just something you don't like. My, uh, the, the thing that I find challenging to do well, and I see it a lot too, are the, um, what I call the, the ping pong flashbacks, where they'll start the story in the present, and then there will be, uh, it'll be really short, and then there'll kind of be a, a big flashback scene, and then we'll pop back into the present for a little while, and then we'll flashback again to, you know, the yeah. B plot line or whatever, right? Uh, especially in short stories, I sometimes struggle with that because I feel like it, it breaks my momentum too much. I mean, I, again, I've seen people do it really, really well. But in general, if the second scene is a flashback, I, yeah, I, I kind of have to, my, my bar immediately gets, you know, shifted up a bit, a few notches at that point because I'm like, okay you're flashing back this better be really really good um i don't mind like the little literary asides that people do where it's like the main narrative and then there'll be a, a short paragraph that's sort of like a little um side note right of the person thinking about something and sometimes it is about something in the past but i want the predominant narrative to be current not the flashback like i, I definitely struggle when the bulk of the story is being told in flashbacks that's that's probably my my thing there when yeah, it why comes not just to write the story structure. why just not write why not just write that, that story right exactly <clears throat> i mean i know sometimes you want that perspective from the present or you know there's some thematic resonance between the two like it can be like like you said with second person all of these things can be done really well right but you have to be ultra conscious of uh, why you're doing that and convince me as the reader that there's very good reason for it. Like, I uh, I have a short story that's, I think, only like six or 7,000 words and it has two points of view. Um, and I, you know, as a baby writer just a few years ago, right, it hasn't been that long for me, um, I learned in all the craft books and classes and stuff, they're like, you know, a short story should really only have one point of view. It doesn't have room for multiple points of view. Um, there are plenty of short stories that have broken that and done a great job. We've, we've run some, some of our favorite stories actually at Escape Pod have been multi points of view because that lets us do multiple narrators, yeah. which I love. Um, but you need to be, you know, you need to be very aware and deliberate when you're breaking that particular rule that you are breaking it. So it's like, know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And know that 
you know, you have, um, you're going to have a tougher time drawing in and convincing your reader that you need to do this. Yeah. Uh, the Kids Are Asleep asks, do you do anything to get in a particular frame of mind before you read? Clear your brain kind of thing. I, I don't think so. I, I, know, I, I know that I'm doing, like, go ahead. No, no, you can, you can go ahead. I'm thinking, too. Well, I, I know that this is a time I'm going to be reading stories, and so I'm not multitasking or doing anything else. It's not, like, read a story during a break. It's like, this is my sitting down and reading story time. And, but that's about all I do, is I just know that it's the, it's like I'm reading an anthology. I'm, I'm reading a story, and then I'm reading another story. Yeah, I would say I I don't have any specific, like, brain reset ritual before sitting down to read Escape Pod Slash, but, um, but I do have to be in the right general frame of mind, sort of like what you were saying in terms of, you know, days when you're really stressed out about other stuff are mm -hmm. not good days to read Slash, so... I do try to make sure I have the right mindset going into when I'm reading it. And if I don't, then I'll do something else with that time and push the slush rating off to some other day or some other hour in my day. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do often read um, as a break, like you say. Like um, yesterday, you know, I, I sit in my car a lot of times when my kid is in dance class because it's too short to drive home and back. And so um, I'll often end up reading a story while I'm sitting in the car, sometimes too, waiting for her. And, um, and similarly, like, you know, whatever, at the doctor's office, that kind of thing. Like anytime, I, I won't, if it's too short, like if it's only going to be like a five or ten minute wait, I won't dive in. Because one thing I do like to do with Slush is make sure I have enough time to finish it when I start it just so I can give it, you know, a solid read-through beginning to end. But um, but other than that, yeah, I, I send everything to my Kindle, so it's always on my phone. So mm -hmm. it, Slush is always with me. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably do that. I don't do that enough. I try, I do it with I try to go to e Moksha on my phone, and then it poops out, and I'm like, well, I can't oh. read that now. But, yeah, no, I don't, uh, I love Moksha for a lot of things, but not the reading interface. Yeah. And in general, I have uh, mostly ebooks, so all my, all my reading is typically done. Occasionally, I will get, like, an actual print book, either, you know, because I got it at a convention, or I bought it at a bookstore, or I do actually check things out from the library once in a while, but the, the bulk of my reading is electronic these days mm -hmm. we have been going for an hour a little bit over an hour i have taken of mm -hmm. your time divya thank you so much for being not matt today i don't think we were <laughs> enough but i think we covered a lot of ground that needed to be done yeah i'm really bad at swearing uh on camera or into a <laughs> microphone like i have just been um inculcated indoctrinated is probably the best word for it like just as a child that like you know you don't swear in public or with family like you only swear with your friends in college when you're getting drunk yes, <laughs> yes. so uh so yes i i have i have not been a good not matt uh in that no sense. you're an excellent not matt. <laughs> not matt has many fact uh, many many layers so uh the swearing is only the loudest part <laughs> so, we miss you, Matt. Uh, Divya, do you want to tell us where to find you? Oh, yeah. Um, well, besides the escape pod, uh, you can find me on my website. Uh, very easy, sbdivya.com. Um, if you are curious about my novel, Machinehood, go to machinehood.com. There's a little excerpt from the manifesto. And once you buy the book, there is a secret password. You can get all of it. Um, yeah, and then on Twitter... Password. Yeah, I just, it's a really easy password as long as you own the book. Yeah. Um, I thought about making it into like a like an actual puzzle, and then I was like, everyone's going to just get fed up. So <laughs> some people would be into it, but the vast majority, I'm like, I don't want to create that much of a hurdle <laughs> yeah. for this. Um, and if you're on Twitter, you can find me 
as at Divya's tweets. And I am sporadically on Instagram as uh, sbdivya underscore author. And we ran out of time, but uh, would like to have you back on because I often get questions about uh, names or pen names or whatever you want to call it, not putting your driver's license name on your book. And we were going to talk a little bit about that, and we ran out of time. So we should have you back just because you could answer a lot of those questions. So I'm sorry we didn't get to that. No, it's okay. We'll do a a pandemic check. Yes. My new version of the rain check. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And if you want to find me, that's mightymer at gmail.com or merverse.com. Also, escapepod.org, where you can find the stories that Divi and I present. And... um, you can support this podcast and my other podcast at Patreon, patreon.com slash mightymer, or you could subscribe via Twitch. Either way, you get access to the uh, fabul- fabulous Discord that I run. It's a fun little community. So um, thank you all for showing up, and thank you, Divya, for your time, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. All right. Bye, everyone. You can support us at patreon.com slash mightymer. Ditch Diggers! Theme song by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com.